847 is 366 and 7. Hello and welcome to A Score to Settle, a podcast about movie and TV music. I'm your host, Brian McVicker. Each episode, I focus on music composed for film and television, whether through analyzing a specific score, taking a deep dive into a particular composer's work, or by way of interviews with guests, both those in the industry and also fellow fans. In this episode, I plan to take a deep dive into music from a specific TV series, the first sequel series to a very famous original, and now just one part of a very long-running media franchise. This would be Star Trek The Next Generation. Following on from the late 1960s Star Trek, The Next Generation premiered in 1987 and very successfully ran for seven seasons before leaping to the big screen in four feature films, closing out in 2002 with Star Trek Nemesis. Of course, tackling any aspect of Star Trek can be a major undertaking, seeing as how it encompasses 50-plus years of TV series and movies, not to mention ancillary products, and musically has had countless memorable contributions from dozens of composers, where does one even begin? Well, for me, it begins with The Next Generation. It happens to be my favorite TV series, it's what made me a Star Trek fan, and features much of my favorite TV music. It's a series that I watched religiously as it aired throughout my high school and university years, and I studied every aspect of its production. When it came to the music, I became so well attuned to the individual styles of each composer working on the show that I could usually identify whose music was being featured within the first minute of any given episode. I've wanted to share my perspective and personal thoughts on this topic for some time, and decided that now, in a year of reflection, was as good a time as any. The three primary composers on The Next Generation were Dennis McCarthy, Ron Jones, and Jay Chadaway. Only four episodes out of the 178 total received music from guest composers. Dennis McCarthy became the musical spine of the show, uh, charting its path from the pilot to the series finale, and eventually developing what became the quote-unquote house style for this and subsequent Trek series. Ron Jones brought the edge and innovation and alternated each week with McCarthy um, until being let go by the producers at the close of season four. After his dismissal, Jay Chataway was brought on board to replace Jones during the remaining three seasons. What I would like to present here, as with other installments of my listening to episodes, are the hallmarks of each composer's music for the next generation, where they differ, uh, and how their respective styles evolved during their tenure. Now, The Next Generation was a very risky endeavor, uh, being a syndicated sequel series to the original series, Um, but it was initiated during the heyday of the Star Trek film franchise, which was enjoying some of its biggest successes thanks to Star Trek IV The Voyage Home in 1986, i.e. the one with the whales. 
Both behind the scenes and in-universe, The Next Generation began as an extension of the original series, uh, with several key veterans from the 1960s uh, TV production crew hired by creator and executive producer Gene Roddenberry to shepherd the new show. One of these individuals was producer Bob Justman, who stayed with The Next Generation only through its first season. Justman dictated the initial tone musically of what was envisioned for the series. Now, his uh, preference mirrored what was heard on the original Star Trek series, that being the bold, swashbuckling flourishes. And this was his directive to the series composers on The Next Generation. First up on the musical agenda would, of course, be the main title for the show. What would brand it from that point forward? The final result incorporated music composed for previous Star Trek projects. Specifically, and perhaps unsurprisingly, Alexander Courage's fanfare from the original Star Trek series, uh, which was then butted up against Jerry Goldsmith's main theme from the 1979 Star Trek The Motion Picture, the film that started the film franchise. Uh, these were as per directives from Gene Roddenberry. The task to adapt and arrange this hybrid main title actually fell to Dennis McCarthy. The inclusion of Jerry Goldsmith's main theme from that first theatrical Star Trek film helped bring that theme more notoriety than I think it garnered uh, when attached to just one movie at the time, back in 1987, uh, before it went on to be used in subsequent feature films as well. Interestingly enough, Dennis McCarthy did compose an alternate main title. Now, it opens the same as the final version with the Alexander Courage fanfare, but then transitions to his own new theme in sort of an ABA structure, song structure, with the B section being Dennis McCarthy's own theme for the character of Captain Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart. McCarthy's Picard theme, uh, in particular, was included in many of his episode scores during the first three seasons, um, even though this alternate main title never wound up being part of any broadcast um, but here is uh, that alternate main title uh, that Dennis McCarthy composed for The Next Generation. Mm -hmm. 
So for just a little bit of history on Dennis McCarthy, he was born in 1945 and had a background that included being musical director of the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour and the Barbara Mandrell Show, um, both from an era when variety shows were pretty big hits in primetime. This would be during the 1970s. He eventually graduated to television scoring um, by way of the uh, Dukes of Hazzard spinoff, Enos, uh, which probably should best be forgotten. But uh, he, uh, McCarthy, became sort of an in-house composer for Paramount Television Productions, um, such as with the miniseries V, The Final Battle, the short-lived V Weekly series... Plus, many years on Nighttime Soaps, Dynasty, and The Colbys, and also the popular action show MacGyver. It was Paramount Studios who insisted on hiring Dennis McCarthy as one of the composers on The Next Generation, although no one could have predicted at the time that McCarthy would wind up writing music for the next 18 years straight on the various Star Trek spinoffs, scoring more episodes than any other composer. So I mentioned that first season producer Bob Justman, veteran of the original series, liked the strident, sweeping orchestral scores uh, from the predecessor and that this was his directive uh, on The Next Generation as well. Uh, This was also the post-Star Wars era, so a brassy, heroic tone was applied early on as well. Dennis McCarthy scored the pilot, called Encounter at Farpoint, in this fashion, and the score encapsulates much of the sound of his work during that first season. The first cue of this score, called Stardate, immediately quotes the Alexander Courage fanfare, then moves into an optimistic string and brass passage with an appearance of his uh, Picard theme about a minute in. So this is the cue Stardate uh, from Dennis McCarthy's score for the pilot encounter at Farpoint. That was the Q Stardate uh, from Dennis McCarthy's score for the uh, Next Generation pilot called Encounter at Farpoint. 
to that uh, Courage, the Alexander Courage opening fanfare um, is often quoted during this pilot score and during the first few seasons of the show, really helping to establish that link between the original series and the next generation. Meanwhile, Dennis McCarthy's chase and uh, battle cues feature a flurry of brass, strings, and percussion, uh, such as in this cue, Picard's plan and first chase from Encounter at Farpoint. There are also many moments of uh, the sweeping orchestral style that McCarthy was asked to bring to uh, the next generation in his encounter at Farpoint score, where the music uh, is being displayed more prominently. Uh, an example of this would be the climactic cue, revealed and reaching out, uh, which wonderfully blossoms and ascends uh, before winnowing down to spotlight just a solo violin. So here's a portion of that cue revealed and reaching out from Dennis McCarthy's score for Encounter at Farpoint, the next generation pilot. And just to provide another example of how McCarthy's score for uh, the Next Generation pilot sort of encapsulated uh, his overall sound for that first season, there is even a bit of the more atmospheric style uh, that would get explored later um, in, by McCarthy in sort of darker, creepier episodes. Um, here's a cue from that encounter at Far Point score uh, called Inside.
So for Star Trek fans, Encounter at Farpoint had been the first score we'd heard from the then new series. However, the actual first recording of music for The Next Generation was for its second aired episode, The Naked Now, with music composed by Ron Jones. Jones was the young newcomer and had been hired personally by producer Bob Justman based on the demo tapes that he had provided. Uh, Jones had mostly been working on Hanna-Barbera cartoons, some indie movies sprinkled in here and there, and had just started composing for the Disney animated series DuckTales when he got the job with Star Trek. While aesthetically, Ron Jones followed the same directive as Dennis McCarthy, that of following the sweeping melodic orchestral style of music, um, his philosophical approach was to treat each episode he scored as its own, let's say, individual movie of the week. He would craft a new theme or motif for each episode, uh, maybe spotlight a unique electronic sound or instrumentation, and sometimes even change up the players in the orchestra. Uh, there were some recurring motifs spread across uh, seasons, but Ron Jones' approach to Trek uh, was more akin to Jerry Goldsmith's approach for composing for the films, so that each score had its own sound stamp. Uh, in contrast, Dennis McCarthy's approach musically was that the next generation was one large tapestry, and he was sort of scoring uh, another day in space for the characters. So Ron Jones' music for the episode The Naked Now uh, features a short, creeping motif uh, for this virus infecting the crew, uh, which you can hear in uh, this cue here, The Frozen. So in addition to that creeping little motif uh, for uh, this episode, uh, for Ron Jones' inaugural episode for The Next Generation, uh, the episode called The Naked Now, uh, Jones also includes several uses of the Alexander Courage Star Trek fanfare and some exciting mixed meter action cues uh, in the best Jerry Goldsmith uh, fashion, as heard in this cue called Exploding Star.
those were cues from Ron Jones's score for the episode, The Naked Now. The second episode aired of The Next Generation, but actually the first recorded. Um, now, the initial plan by producer Bob Justman was to have three rotating composers uh, for the show, each with about 12 days each to write uh, for their respective episodes. Another veteran of the original series, composer Fred Steiner, was hired to complete that planned trio, but ended up only contributing to one episode, Code of Honor. The third episode aired. Fred Steiner's many contributions to the original series really became the most recognizable sound stamp uh, for the Kirk and Spock era on TV, even more than Alexander Courage, who composed the first Star Trek theme in pilot scores. For the next generation, Steiner brought this same strident orchestral approach uh, with a haughty martial theme often presented on muted trumpets, uh, as heard in these cues here. Again, this is from the episode Code of Honor, the third episode aired for the next generation uh, with music by original series composer Fred Steiner. Fred Steiner wasn't asked back after this episode, Code of Honor, as the producers determined that his style too much reflected the more melodramatic style of 60s-era Star Trek. Thus, with only one more exception, it was Dennis McCarthy and Ron Jones alternating for the rest of the season and the next. Uh, And while both composers continued with the broadly symphonic scores for the show and sprinkled in the Alexander Courage fanfare, only Ron Jones incorporated the Jerry Goldsmith motion picture theme into his scores. Jones greatly admired Goldsmith and uh, that venerated composer's overall approach to film scoring, from the use of electronics to modern orchestral techniques and how to keep spinning variations on just one theme or motif. Thus, Ron Jones uh, saw himself as junior Jerry Goldsmith for the next generation. For instance, In this cue from Jones' score for the episode where no one has gone before, the Jerry Goldsmith theme uh, kickstarts it all uh, before things go awry. This cue is called the Test and Double Warp. This is from Ron Jones' score for the episode where no one has gone before.
That was the cue, the test, and double warp from Ron Jones' score from the first season episode of The Next Generation, Where No One Has Gone Before. Ron Jones would at times submit all synth or all electronic cues for certain sequences, saving the big guns, the big orchestra, from major action sequences. For example, uh, from his score for the Klingon-centric episode Heart of Glory, check out this really bright synth cue called Geordie Vision. Meanwhile, uh, Dennis McCarthy was applying his approach from the pilot to the rest of his assigned episodes for the season, both in the broadly melodic realm, as in the episode Haven, and the action spectrum, as heard in the Arsenal of Freedom. Regarding the former episode, Haven, this was actually just the fourth episode produced for the show, but aired 10th, um, so still early on in uh, McCarthy's tenure as composer. And its lighter tone prompted McCarthy to feature several very expressive passages for solo violin. For example, here's the cue Wyatt and Troy and Mom Arrives from that episode Haven. And also listen for the quick quote of Picard's theme at the end of this cue. So again, this is music from Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode Haven. that was a cue from Dennis McCarthy's score for the first season episode, Haven. As I noted, it was the fourth episode produced, thus only McCarthy's second score for the show. And according to McCarthy, uh, it was his music for this episode, Haven, uh, for which he received a gentle rebuke from co-producer Rick Berman. Uh, Berman initially deferred to the elder Bob Justman, 
uh, as far as the show's uh, musical uh, tone, but Berman would later uh, take over from the veteran producer after the end of the season. And uh, apparently Rick Berman felt that the music was basically, quote-unquote, too in our face, uh, and he preferred a more understated approach. But we'll come back to that. Regarding the latter end of the spectrum, uh, the action side, Dennis McCarthy continued to bring the flurry of brass and rapid string figures and percussion in episodes such as The Last Outpost, Coming of Age, and the aforementioned The Arsenal of Freedom. In the latter example, he gives a great brass accompaniment to a sequence of the uh, USS Enterprise D separating into its two halves, which was always a big cinematic moment. Uh, but here's a bit of, a, of uh, one of Dennis McCarthy's cues for the uh, season one episode, The Arsenal of Freedom. This cue is called Separation. That was music from Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode The Arsenal of Freedom, a great showcase for his style of orchestral action. Following on this, he was able to wrap up that first season of The Next Generation with eerie and unsettling music for the episode Conspiracy, an episode notable for its graphic ending. On the other side of the street, as the uh, season progressed, Ron Jones continued pushing electronics to the forefront in his music, uh, such as in the episode Skin of Evil, another late entry in that first season. The score for Skin of Evil is prominently centered around synths until it opens up to the full orchestra for a final lengthy and pensive cue called Tasha's Goodbye. Now, for me personally, Ron Jones' synth work here in Skin of Evil kind of sounds akin to stalking music from a 1980s slasher movie. Uh, That could just be me. But it works great as a theme characterizing this inhuman creature of pure evil. So here is a cue uh, with an example of that called Blocked Path. This is again from the episode Skin of Evil, music by Ron Jones.
That was the cue Blocked Path from uh, the episode Skin of Evil, music by Ron Jones. Now, radically different from that theme and an overall highlight of season one's music is the cue called Tasha's Goodbye from this same episode, Skin of Evil. It expands on Ron Jones's theme for the short-lived character of Tasha Yar. It's a melancholy descending melody, uh, which you'll hear uh, migrates from oboe to flute to trumpet and piano. Uh, I'm not going to play the entire cue. It's a very lengthy cue, but I will play an excerpt. Uh, so this is the, an excerpt of that cue, Tasha's Goodbye, from the episode Skin of Evil, music by Ron Jones. Now, I'm not going to dive in depth into each season, but season two is where a subtle musical shift began at the directive of executive producer Rick Berman, who now oversaw the production after Bob Justman's departure. As I mentioned earlier, Berman preferred the music to be more understated, and he wasn't a fan of repeating themes uh, or too much hot percussion. 
what could be viewed as a straitjacket creatively, Dennis McCarthy accepted as a challenge. He pivoted accordingly by smoothing out his style and focusing more on fluid colors and tones in his music, often expressed by a sonorous wall of massed strings and French horns. Standout scores from McCarthy from the second season uh, include the ebullient Elementary Dear Data, in which uh, Data plays as Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the music's a bit inspired by Bruce Broughton's score for the 1985 film Young Sherlock Holmes, uh, but I wanted to play just a portion of McCarthy's music from that second season episode, Elementary Dear Data. In addition to that sprightly elementary Dear Data sample, uh, McCarthy was able to occasionally provide some relaxed jazz settings as well, such as in the episode Manhunt, heard in this cue called Jukeboxer, uh, in a setting led by clarinet. Uh, this is some music from the second season episode Manhunt. McCarthy also crafted a new recurring four-note fanfare to open up his second season episodes and was still occasionally dropping in his Picard theme here and there. Some sequences allowed him the chance at writing some expressive string passages, such as for the second season uh, premiere episode, The Child. Uh, so those expressive string passages are evidenced uh, in this cue here called The Birth, uh, again from this second season episode, The Child.
That was music from Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode The Child, uh, the episode that kicked off second season of The Next Generation. Now, you might be wondering, how did the somewhat iconoclastic Ron Jones handle the new directives for the music from executive producer Rick Berman? Well, Jones pretty much ignored them every time. (laughs) He continued to strive to grant each episode its own musical character, uh, whether it was the New Age synths that uh, colored the episode loud as a whisper, sleazy jazz heard in the casino set episode, The Royale. brightly Irish flavor of the episode Up the Long Ladder. Personally, I find that uh, particular score of Ron Jones uh, for the episode Up the Long Ladder really harkens back to the original series, the original uh, 60s set Star Trek, specifically the music of Gerald Freed, uh, who uh, provided a similar Irish jig for the episode Shore Leave. Uh, Now, Jones also continued to showcase electronic and synthesizer textures Um, as well as unleashing large-scale orchestral acrobatics in the action sequences. You can find evidence of both of these in the episode Q-Who, which was very notable for introducing the insurmountable foe, the Borg. Uh, So here is a little bit of the Ron Jones music for that episode from the second season called Q-Who.
Those were some selections from Ron Jones' music for the episode Q Who from the second season of The Next Generation. Now, by the third season, The Next Generation, as a series, found its confidence both dramatically on screen and also behind the scenes via a stable writing staff. The emerging strength of its stories, interestingly, required less music in general. Dennis McCarthy continued to refine his smoother sound with muted tones uh, while Ron Jones continued experimenting, sometimes removing certain sections from the orchestra, such as the strings, or embellishing the percussion section. What resulted was a fascinating yin-yang of styles from week to week, and I became an ardent fan of it all, both McCarthy's and Jones' scores, for various reasons. I feel that this was akin to having a Jerry Goldsmith score for one Star Trek movie, followed by a James Horner score for the next. Both wonderful, but in different ways. Um, and Or maybe to place it in a pop-rock vernacular, it's like enjoying both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And I'm not going to say that there has to be a winner. <laughs> but here's where I'd like to share an observation of mine regarding the musical contrast on The Next Generation. It's an observation based on something I learned at one of the seminars held by the Academy of Scoring Arts here in Los Angeles. Shout out to the Academy of Scoring Arts. This was several years ago during one of their Duke Ellington studies, so it was centered more on jazz composition than orchestral. But what was discussed seemed potentially applicable to the latter. Uh, Thus, my mind kind of ran with it. It has to do with gestural writing versus melodic writing, or gestural writing versus melodically developed writing. My thought is that compositionally, you could frame the disparate approaches of Dennis McCarthy and Ron Jones as the difference between gestural writing versus melodic writing. So stick with me for a second here. The melodic writing involves the intentional development of melodies and countermelodies in a specific direction, whereas the gestural writing is based more on riffs that lead to other riffs, which may never get heard again. To put it another way, Gestural writing is like following a train of thought, as opposed to melodic writing being uh, a prepared thesis statement that has to present sort of a formal structure. To hopefully illustrate my observation, I'd like to compare two large-scale action cues uh, from The Next Generation, one from McCarthy, one from Jones, both from Season 3 episodes. First up is Dennis McCarthy's score for Yesterday's Enterprise, a top 10 episode on anyone's list of uh, Next Generation episodes. This is a portion of the final battle cue called Klingons. It expertly accentuates the action, uh, but in that gestural fashion that I noted shifting from riff to riff. So again, this is a portion of the cue Klingons from Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode Yesterday's Enterprise.
That was a portion of the cue called Klingons from Dennis McCarthy's score for the Season 3 episode Yesterday's Enterprise, uh, something I'm using in my amateur observational experiment here as an example of gestural compositional writing shifting from riff to riff. And so then for contrast, here is Ron Jones' cue called Terrorist Attack from the episode The High Ground, also from Season 3. This would be my example of melodic writing, uh, where Ron Jones introduces a nervous, rising, motivic figure, kind of like an opening statement, then keeps spinning variations on this same figure, uh, an idea that keeps repeating and bouncing from section to section in the orchestra. Uh, so take a listen here to this cue terrorist attack uh, from Ron Jones's score for the episode The High Ground. That was Ron Jones's cue, uh, Terrorist Attack, from the episode The High Ground, uh, from Season 3 of Next Generation. Hopefully that was a thought-provoking illustration of gestural versus melodic composition. Um, if I'm off base, certainly let me know. I just thought it was sort of an interesting idea uh, to apply, like I said, that I had learned from a Duke Ellington study, uh, but apply it to orchestral writing, uh, something that had been talked about with jazz writing. But progressing into the fourth season, uh, Ron Jones proved to be adept at providing the data-centric stories with the most heartfelt melodies, data being the android character of Next Generation, uh, as played by Brent Spiner. So episodes uh, such as The Offspring, Brothers, and my own personal favorite, uh, Data's Day, uh, features some absolutely uh, stunning scores by Ron Jones. Now, this latter episode I mentioned includes an absolutely lovely theme, uh, which kept me re-watching the episode on VHS just to hear it again. 
and yeah, I had a lot of Next Generation episodes on VHS. So the theme opens with a bright, trilling figure that elicits the feelings of joy, which the android character of Data himself is unable to feel. Here is a presentation of that theme uh, and several cues from Ron Jones's score for the episode Data's Day. That was music from Ron Jones's score for the episode Data's Day from the fourth season of Next Generation, a real personal favorite of mine. Prior to this sonic treat, Jones had composed what many consider to be his magnum opus for the Next Generation, that being the incredible two-part uh, Best of Both Worlds, which spanned the third and the fourth season. It featured an epic cinematic score brimming with both terror and excitement, uh, and, and an ear-popping fortissimo crescendo to part one that seemed to herald the end of all life, <laughs> and also a spine-tingling synth choir heralding the return of the implacable mechanical Borg menace. <laughs> Dennis McCarthy and Ron Jones continued to alternate episodes in season four up until near the end when stresses between Jones and the producers finally reached a breaking point and he was not asked back. In fact, he was informed of this decision right before composing his last episode score, The Drumhead. It's amazing that his tenure lasted as long as it did, but everyone acknowledged the undeniably high quality of his music. While I do love all the music presented on The Next Generation, I think Ron Jones could be considered the MVP uh, to this particular series, as each of his 42-episode scores showcase such a breadth of thought and melody and invention.
Now enter to the picture composer Jay Chataway. Born in 1946, Jay Chataway studied music at West Virginia University and even wrote music for the Navy Band after being drafted into the military. He brought with him experience in uh, low-budget thrillers such as Stephen King's Silver Bullet in 1985 and Maniac Cop in 88, and was busy scoring documentaries for National Geographic and Jacques Cousteau when the Star Trek producers sought him out. Prior to being hired to The Next Generation on a permanent basis, Chataway had actually stepped in previously as a replacement for one episode in Season 3, an episode called Ten Man. This was during a scheduling snafu with Ron Jones. Chataway's uh, recent recordings of Whale Song, which he had used in his documentary scores, was basically a springboard uh, for his score to this specific Next Generation episode. In addition, Chataway saw this as his opportunity to compose a broad, sweeping orchestral score for a space opera, uh, and thus his music for Ten Man, while being a third season episode under the newer, understated styles, feels more comparable to those scores from the first season. Here's an example of Jay Chataway cues from that episode Ten Man. Listen for the sampled and pitched whale song uh, in these cues. That was music from Jay Chataway's score for the third season episode uh, called Tin Man, which had been his first instance of scoring uh, an episode for The Next Generation. Following one more incident of filling in for an episode, near the close of season four is when Jay Chataway was brought on board to begin consistently alternating with Dennis McCarthy. Chataway helped close out season four by scoring the episodes The Host and In Theory, both with musically delicate, sensitive approaches. After having received feedback following the Tin Man episode uh, to tone down the flourishes a bit in his music, not unlike what Dennis McCarthy heard uh, in season one following Haven, 
Chataway quickly pivoted to what had become the preferred house style, the smoother sound of strings and French horns. But Chataway actually found a good middle ground between McCarthy's and uh, Ron Jones's styles. He might often spotlight a solo instrument such as a woodwind or an ethnic instrument or electronics. On occasion, he introduced a new theme or motif just for a specific episode. And while his action style leaned more towards that gestural compositional style that uh, McCarthy's demonstrated, it was often built on these staccato pulses of brass and percussion, along with a recurring short ascending motif pronounced on uh, trumpets or violins. For an example of Chataway foregrounding the synths, there are these dreamy textures in uh, Chataway's score for Birthright from the sixth season, uh, an episode that explores whether the android data is capable of dreaming. Uh, this prominent electronic aspect kind of recalls Ron Jones's efforts during the first season in scores like Where No One Has Gone Before. Here is a part of the cue called Data in Dreamland from the episode Birthright, music by Jay Chataway. Next, for an example of Chataway's choice to occasionally spotlight soloists, I present to you the wheezy solo harmonica chiming in throughout his score for Sixth Season's holodeck western fantasy, uh, an episode called A Fistful of Datas. Uh, so you can hear that uh, harmonica uh, layered in through the music here. This is part of Chataway's score for the episode A Fistful of Datas.
in another notable instance of Chataway's approach to occasionally spotlight soloists, here is a cue called Telling a Story from the very popular fifth season episode, Darmok. In this cue, there is a passage for Solo Recorder, which underscores a mythic fireside scene uh, involving Picard relaying the epic story of Gilgamesh, uh, and that recorder passage is followed by these sighing strings and horns. So here is the cue telling a story uh, from Jay Chataway's score for the fifth season episode, Darmok. That was music from Jay Chataway's score for the episode Darmok, just an example of how he would uh, spotlight a solo instrument from time to time. Now, regarding Chataway's pulsating action stylings, those staccato pulses of brass and percussion that I mentioned along with the uh, recurring short ascending motif, there are numerous examples heard in his scores during these last few seasons of The Next Generation. Episodes like Power Play and Descent are front-loaded with the action, um, but I wanted to present here a cue called Deception uh, from the fifth season episode, The Game. This is an episode in which Wesley Crusher is on the run from the Enterprise crew being under a mind-control influence. So here's Jay Chataway's cue called Deception from the episode, The Game.
That was music from Jay Chataway's score for the episode The Game, spotlighting his action styling uh, that he brought to the next generation. Lastly, for an example of an episode-specific theme that Jay Chataway would at times compose, the most prominent and best known would be his folk-like tune for fifth season's The Inner Light. It certainly helps that this melody is played on-screen on flute uh, by Jean-Luc Picard, but it also was featured in a later episode called Lessons, uh, thus garnering even more notoriety as an emotional touchstone, both for the character of Picard and for fans in general. Uh, This became a very popular tune uh, among fans of Star Trek. Here's an album recording of Chataway's theme for the episode The Inner Light, uh, performed in a penny whistle and piano duet. That was Jay Chataway's theme from the episode The Inner Light from The Next Generation's fifth season, another entry on virtually every fan's top ten list. So throughout the second half of The Next Generation, seasons five, six, and seven, Jay Chataway and Dennis McCarthy alternated in the same fashion as Ron Jones and McCarthy did during the initial half of the series. Only two episodes didn't feature their work, uh, that being Face of the Enemy, Uh, with music by future Matrix composer Don Davis, and The Pegasus by future Hocus Pocus and Passion of the Christ composer John Debney. McCarthy continued cultivating his restrained yet effective 
and occasionally expressive scores within the imposed creative boundaries. This is still in that more gestural style of composition that I um, had observed instead of the melodic development. And in the later seasons, his uh, McCarthy's cues were often grounded by a steady rhythmic pulse in the basses with uh, undulating strings or woodwinds on top. He would also dive into atonal passages when needed, uh, and even return to a bit of the brassy action flourishes uh, when they were called upon. One aspect that became particularly effective for moments of mystery or tragedy uh, from McCarthy's music was a deep pedal tone in the basses as a firmament, contrasted by these very high strings or sometimes a lonely trumpet or flute solo. It was a fitting bit of synchronicity that McCarthy scored the time-hopping, epic, two-part Next Generation finale entitled All Good Things, seeing as how it revisited events of the pilot episode Encounter at Farpoint. The score for All Good Things exhibited all those aforementioned qualities that I mentioned uh, the later years of the series, um, including some churning, energetic cues for the space action sequences. Uh, such as in the cue to the rescue. So I want to play a sample of this cue uh, from McCarthy's score for All Good Things. It's a cue called To the Rescue.
That was the cue to the rescue from Dennis McCarthy's score for the Next Generation series finale episode, All Good Things. And for the last scene of the finale, with the beloved crew of the Enterprise-D gathered together again, McCarthy wrapped up the television adventures of the Next Generation with a moving, soaring closing cue and a farewell utilizing the sturdy Alexander Courage fanfare. All the composers who worked on The Next Generation provided stellar work. It was McCarthy who actually garnered four primetime Emmy nominations for his music. This would be specifically for the episodes Yesterday's Enterprise, Half a Life, Unification, and the series finale All Good Things. It's actually surprising to me that Chataway uh, wasn't nominated for The Inner Light. Uh, especially uh, since that penny whistle tune was so prominent on screen with the characters in the episode. And in addition, I think Ron Jones should have been nominated several times over, especially for Best of Both Worlds Part 1. However, this is just me editorializing. I find it fascinating to chart the evolution of the sound and approach in the music from The Next Generation, from the first season to the last, from the strident orchestral fireworks and distinctive flavors of early Dennis McCarthy and Ron Jones, to the more fluid, impressionistic tones and moods of late McCarthy and Jay Chataway's music. There are many fans who only prefer the early seasons, and some who find it more melodramatic. I happen to love it all. Uh, It's no different for me than loving Jerry Goldsmith scores from both the 1960s and the 1990s, as different as those can be. In comparing the scores of McCarthy, Jones, and Chataway, it's obvious that Jones brought the flair and unpredictability to the next generation, whereas McCarthy and Chataway provided consistency. Uh, with Dennis McCarthy, I find that there is a warmth and approachability to his scores, almost a genial quality, while Jay Chataway's scores at times can feel untethered and, and dreamy with fitful bursts of kinetic action. And Ron Jones succeeded in giving a distinct and melodically expressive quality to each and every one of his scores. I want to thank everyone for listening today to this episode and indulging me on this exploration of the music of the TV series Star Trek The Next Generation, broadcast from 1987 to 1994. I know it was a more extended running time, but hopefully it didn't feel like a five-year-long mission. I'd like to give a shout-out to the long-running podcast Melodic Treks, hosted by Brandon Shea Mutala, a preceding podcast which covered many facets of Star Trek music, including interviews with the composers, and even inviting me on as a guest once to discuss Ron Jones. 
Exceptional resources for me on this episode include the book The Music of Star Trek, written by Jeff Bond, and articles in issues of the magazine Cinefantastique, which were published at the time of The Next Generation. And regarding the music itself, the complete set of Ron Jones's scores from The Next Generation is available on a wonderful CD box set from the label Film Score Monthly, while various other album releases uh, from the record labels La La Land Records and Gene P. Crescendo feature selections from Dennis McCarthy and Jay Chataway. Music featured in this episode uh, was from various episodes of The Next Generation, as composed by Dennis McCarthy, Ron Jones, and Jay Chataway, along with some samples of music from the original series by Fred Steiner, with the theme from Star Trek The Original Series as composed by Alexander Courage, and the theme from Star Trek The Motion Picture, composed by Jerry Goldsmith. If you'd like to send any comments or questions, you can email the show at a score to settle podcast at gmail.com, find the blog at a score to settle.blogspot.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash a score to settle, and on Twitter at score to settle pod. That's score number two settle pod. If you listen to the show by way of iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a review. That is always appreciated. And of course, we're also available on Spotify. Thanks again for listening. 